When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of, if not my absolute favorite person on the Ohio State beat, Cleveland.com columnist Doug LaMaurice. From his unique insights in the written form, to his out-of-the-box questions at press conferences, to his one-of-a-kind perspective on podcast, and he does a lot of podcasts, Doug is a very special voice and one that Buckeye fans should be very happy to have covering their team. In our conversation, Doug and I talk about his new book, The Road to Ohio State, about the recruiting journeys of some of OSU's biggest names from the past five or so decades. He talks to the likes of Ryan Shazier, Keith Byers, James Laronitis, Cam Hayward, Travion Henderson, and a ton of coaches, as well as some other really fascinating folks. We will have a link to where you can pre-order the book for when it is finally released on September 14th in the show notes and in the article version of this podcast at Land Grant Holy Land. Then we also talk about the 2021 Buckeyes and what Doug thinks about the possibility of some young guys actually getting some early opportunities this season, what the team as a whole needs to do to get over the national championship hump, and most importantly, what he thinks of Ryan Day shaving off his offseason beard. Scandalous. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with the one and only Doug Maurice. All right, Doug, first off, it really is an, an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. I've been a, a huge fan of your work, uh, both written and on podcasts for a long time. So this is fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to your new book, The Road to Ohio State. And it seems to me, obviously, as someone who's a fan of Ohio State, but somebody uh, who has kind of followed it, that over the past, I don't know, decade or so, recruiting has become more and more a part of the general sports conversation. As someone who covers not only Ohio State, but college football in general, is, have you noticed that as well? And is that 
maybe because of the proliferation of recruiting sites and coverage or uh, the the explosion of the internet? Or, or what are your thoughts about why recruiting has become so much a, a bigger talking point about college football than it maybe was a generation or so ago? Yeah, I think it, it is a credit to the recruiting sites that to kind of guide that they guided the rest of us into this world because we were dumb about it sort of in the mainstream yeah. college football media. I, I tell this story a lot. I started covering Ohio state in 2005 and it was for the Cleveland plain dealer. We were still very much a newspaper operation. We were starting, you know, everybody was doing more on the internet, but we still mm -hmm. were newspaper first. And in that 2007 college football season, when Ohio state went to play at Penn state, I stopped in Jeanette, Pennsylvania, and a couple other Ohio State writers did because yeah. on the way over that Friday night, Terrell Pryor was playing a game. Mm -hmm. And it was a night when Jim Tressel and Thad Mata and Joe Daniels and Daryl Hazel showed up at this game for Terrell Pryor. And I wrote about it, watched Terrell play, dominated everybody. And I can remember, again, this is it feels like 100 years ago, but my company back then, we didn't have access to sort of the analytics of, of how many people read our stories. And this is 2007, Ohio State's competing to go back to the national title game. Yeah. And they said, the story you wrote about Terrell Pryor is the most read story that you've written about this team this year. Wow. And I was like, what, man, that's recruiting. That's crazy. Which uh, now that sounds normal. Now it's like, of course, recruiting is monstrously read. Like, but that was 2007. And that surprised me. But it also was like, oh, maybe I should do this more. And so then I threw myself into the trail prior recruitment in a way that I had never covered a recruitment before and covered that, you know, in its entirety until the final conclusion when he picked Ohio State. And it made me realize, like, yeah, this is kind of important. And I was slow to it. Other people will slow to it. And now we're all there. The recruiting sites do a fantastic job. There's tons of great recruiting writers out there, but thankfully, Places like Cleveland.com and, and other, you know, sort of more mainstream outlets, for lack of a better word. Although that's even an antiquated word. It's like, what do you mean? Hmm. Uh, rivals and 247 and Scout and On3 and, and all these other places, not mainstream. Of course they are. But the traditional media, we, we've come around on it finally. But I do think it was those sites, the proliferation of camps, the sites that covered it and the realization that people love it. Because, man, it's just people love the future. People love the future in yeah. sports more, more than they love the present, which is why people talk about free agency during the World Series. It's why people talk about the NFL draft during the Super Bowl. And it's why people are interested in recruiting in the midst of their team chasing a national title in college football. Yeah, and, and that leads in perfectly to why I think a lot of people are excited to read this book, because what's interesting about the folks that you are covering uh, and their recruiting stories is that a lot of them are from the time period since 2007 when we kind of started to figure out that, hey, people care about recruiting. But a lot of them are from before that with people like Keith Byers and, and Kirk Herbstreet and even Ryan Shazier and stuff like that. As you started putting together the list of folks you wanted to reach out to and talk to for this book, what were you looking for from those guys? Was it just great Ohio State players or were there certain nuggets of their stories that you knew that you wanted to include to focus on? Or how did you compile the list of folks who you wanted to be a part of the road to Ohio State? It, there aren't as many Ohio guys in this book because I mm -hmm. did kind of want to stay away from, oh, cool. You're from Ohio and you went to Ohio State. Well, what was that like? 
It was like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of obvious. So um, there aren't, it's not like there's no Ohio players in this book. I mean, as you said, Keith Byers is in this book, Dante Whitner, who sort of represents Mm -hmm. the Glenville pipeline that was established at Ohio state with Troy Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. and everybody else he's in here. There are guys like that, but you know, I, I didn't do Chris Spielman. I didn't do Braxton Miller. I didn't do Beanie Wells. I didn't do some of the guys that where in the end, no matter what, it boiled down to you kind of were always going to go to Ohio State, yeah. right? So um, there are a, a few more guys then who are who are out of state guys. Ryan Chazier's from Florida. Cornelius Green's from Washington, D.C., Eddie George, we know that story. Kenny Guyton's from Texas. James Laurinaitis is from Minnesota. And then like some of the Ohio guys, like Darren Lee is in here, but it's because Darren Lee was a, a lower rated guy who had to fight for an offer, right? That he it wasn't an obvious mm-hmm. offer for Ohio State. So that made his Ohio story a little more interesting. So like no offense to some of those great players. I mean, Braxton Miller is as dynamic a player as I've covered, but, and I was there when he announced his commitment to Ohio State, but you kind of knew that was always going to be the deal. And so it, it was more about the. It's not the, it's 17 chapters. It's not the 17 best players in Ohio state history. It is 17 interesting stories. And there were some themes in recruiting that I wanted to hit along the way. So there's, I wanted to make sure I had a player from Michigan so I could talk about Ohio state trying to recruit the state of Michigan. I wanted to make sure I started talking about urban Meyer going into the South and stuff like that. So I wanted to make sure while also writing about players, I was writing about the recruiting strategy, the recruiting trends and the recruiting evolution of Ohio state football. And I know you're talking about that evolution. You make a point to have a number of insights from coaches, uh, you know, current coaches, past coaches in there. But I know you also talk about, you know, the recruiting ability of going back even to Woody Hayes. As obviously a new coach comes in, they all have different personalities, all have different skills, all have different focuses. But has there been a through line through the most successful Ohio State coaches when it comes to recruiting about one thing? that they all have or they all did that made them able to pull guys, whether it was from Ohio or from out of state, uh, that was able to keep them, even if we didn't have, you know, rankings, you know, b- before 2000, but at the top of the recruiting game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Ryan Day said something at Big Ten Media Days this year, which was too late to get in the book. And I was like, man, I guess I'll just have to talk about that on a podcast. But <laughs> he, he said they recruit players that think big is how Ryan Day characterized it. And I thought that was a very simple way to say it because they're doing, I mean, everything in recruiting, you're doing two different things at the same time. You're telling the Ohio kids, you've got to stay home. Urban Meyer, make the great state of Ohio proud. Woody Hayes, I mean, any great Ohio player was absolutely flabbergasted. Why would anybody leave the state of Ohio? So the Ohio kids, you're sending that message. And then you're going to kids in Florida and Georgia and Texas and California and New Jersey and telling them the exact opposite thing. So the through line is that you are able to spread two divergent messages in a very convincing way to two different groups of people. And so it's a lot of it is charisma in the end. And I think, you know, I obviously I, I talked to all the living Ohio State 
football coaches. I mm-hmm. talked to um, John Cooper. I talked to Jim Tressel. I talked to Urban Meyer. I talked to Ryan Day. I talked to Luke Fickle. And I think they all have their own charisma in very different ways. But you have so much at your disposal at Ohio State with the tradition, with the facilities, with the NFL um, pipeline of players, with the fan base, that a lot of times it's just that little bit of extra charisma. And it's very different because, and I think sometimes you find, diff, you know, there's a different type of player that's attracted to Jim Tressel than was attracted to Urban Meyer. Sure. Right. Cam Hayward came to play for Jim Tressel. I don't, he was recruited by Urban Meyer at Florida. He didn't love Urban, but Cam Hayward loved Jim Tressel. So Cam Hayward came from Georgia to play at Ohio State. Joey Bosa had an uncle who was a great Ohio State player. Mm-hmm. There's no chance he comes to Ohio State unless Urban Meyer's the head coach. So there's a lot of that, too, that as great as Ohio State is, there are those individual relationships, the individual auras around certain head coaches that attract certain players that get those guys over the top to pick the Buckeyes. I I wonder if in talking to these coaches and players, if especially during the time that you were covering Ohio State, like you said, dating back to 2005, was there a story of a player that you covered, whether you covered their recruitment or not, but uh, a story of a player that you covered that you didn't know or were surprised or maybe knew a little bit and got more detail that really kind of shocked you in, in some sort of way? That I discovered sort of through the book. Um, no, it, the, the one thing, Matt, is that it it is so covered now, right? I, I'm not going to pretend... Right that this book is filled with a lot of shock, right? That it's like, oh, I mean, there's one, the Cornelius Green chapter, and obviously that's a recruitment in the 70s. Right. You know, I I talked to an assistant coach who was recruiting Cornelius Green for another school, and I told him what Cornelius Green told me about why Cornelius Green picked Ohio State over that other school, and that coach was like, what? What? And that was news to that coach, that that's how that recruitment went down. So that was sort of the most shocking thing. But a lot of this is in the modern day, it's just more depth on sort of the surface thing that people have some understanding of, right? So, you know, Ryan Shazier, for instance, he commits to Florida. He's going to Florida to play for Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer resigns at Florida. He's like, what's going on? And schools are at his, teams are at his high school that day. There are assistant coaches at his high school that day, knowing that, like, are we going to try to flip this guy from Florida because Urban left? So I don't know that people don't. That's not new to people, but I think there's some more depth to everything that Ryan Shazier and talking to Ryan Shazier and talking to his dad and talking to Jim Tressel about it and talking to Luke Fickle about it and talking to Urban Meyer about it. All the people involved in the Ryan Shazier recruitment, it's a little more depth to what you might have a little inkling about. Um, but anymore, man, anymore, it is hard to shock people in recruiting because the recruitments are covered so extensively and so well while they're happening. Yeah. And I, what I think is so interesting about the idea of this book is that while everything is so covered right now, it feels like because it's so covered, the players and their parents and the high school coaches, they're just as savvy as the reporters are now, and they know how to give that perfect answer. So I love the fact that this book has that added level of uh, depth and humanity and and maybe even distance so that you do get to see behind the headlines of what those recruiting 
uh, stories were like. So I'm really excited for uh, for the book to come out and we can all get to read it. Was there someone that you really wanted to talk to that you didn't have the opportunity to for one reason or another? Maybe they you weren't even going to touch with them or they maybe even somebody who had passed away at this point. Um, but any story that you were really hoping to dive into that you just weren't able to get a contact for? So now we're talking about my failures no. that we're doing here. No, because so I, I just screw up think, in the book. I'm no, thinking about a sequel. I'm thinking about a sequel for the book. Ah, <laughs> uh, there is one. So 17 chapters. I talked to the player involved in his own chapter for 15 of the 17 chapters. So there's two where I didn't get the actual guy. So you wind up talking to everybody around him and then you also, you know, you, you use some of what he said in the past about his recruitment. I wish I went 17 for 17. Um, Eddie George called me back. This was before Eddie George got his head coaching job. Eddie George called mm -hmm. me back. I was in the middle of doing a podcast because I'm always in the middle of doing yeah. a podcast now because it's all that I do yeah. because I love to talk. And I missed the call. And then when I called him back a million times, I was never able to get a hold of him. Um, which was disappointing, but I felt like I had to have Eddie George in the book sort of like for the best yeah. example of this in the John Cooper era. But I did talk extensively to Eddie's mother, who was so integral in every part of Eddie George's life in the decision to get him out of Philadelphia and send him to prep school at Fork Union in his decision of what schools he was going to visit when he was considering colleges at Fork Union and the decision he made. And uh, Donna George was someone who I'd never spoken to previously and was a, a wonderful person. And she passed away recently um, in the last couple months. So I was able to talk to her and really get Eddie's story through her eyes, through John Cooper's eyes, through his high school coach and other people involved in Eddie George's life. But I, but I, I still can see that moment when I like, I'm in the middle of a podcast and it's on my phone and it says Eddie George. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I, I, and I should have stopped the podcast. My God, I do yeah. I do 500 podcasts a year now. The heck with the podcast. If somebody called me, and now I'm never going to do it again, Matt, if I get a call from somebody important in the middle of this podcast, I am bailing. Yes, please do. Lesson learned, my friend. <laughs> Kind of transition from the book to this season. One of the people in the book is Travion Henderson, who um, is obviously somebody that a lot of Ohio State fans are looking forward to being on the field this year. And just recently, I think this morning on his radio show, Ryan Day said they're going to lean towards giving the veteran experienced running backs the time first and eventually Travion Henderson will get his shots. I think a lot of Ohio State fans are for reasons that are obvious, but also some that are related to this increased attention on recruiting, really hoping that there is a bit of a uh, an influx of youth, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but also from the running back position. Ohio State fans in recent or Ohio State coaches in recent memory have not been super great about um, turning to young players. Do you think there's any reason to think that Ryan Day and Kerry Combs and and um, even, you know, on the offensive side of the ball with some of the wide receivers and running backs. Do you think that there's any reason to expect that the Buckeye coaches will throw in some of these younger players in key situations early in games this season? The hard thing with Ohio State is you can get through the Big Ten and win playing probably almost anybody on the roster, right? Yeah. And, and that, that's just reality. Do you need Travion Henderson to beat Indiana and Penn State? Like in the end, the Penn State are good, but like probably not. 
but I do think you might need Trevion Henderson to beat Oklahoma and Clemson mm-hmm. and Alabama and Georgia and the playoff teams. So I think they will get there. I think they realize that there's a Georgia, uh, excuse me, uh, Alabama and Clemson are in similar situations. I think this year where they have kind of an established veteran guy, Brian Robinson, at Alabama and Lynn J Dixon at Clemson and younger guys beneath them, just like Ohio state has master Teague, but are they get you over the top guys when, when you get to the playoff? So I think, They'll get there on Trevion Henderson. I just don't know when. I don't think it'll be like J.K. Dobbins when Mike Weber was hurt and J.K. Dobbins broke out with whatever it was, 187 yards in his first game yeah. of college football. On a Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night uh, Big Ten yeah. game. And and that's like, it's fun because I can remember, you know, J.K., that whole camp, it was it was coming. He was coming. He was coming. He was coming. We kept hearing more and more and more like, man, this guy's going to play. And then Mike Weber was banged up, en- up enough to open the door on that. I don't think that's going to happen Thursday night, but I think they'll get there eventually because I think – I think you realize you need get over the top guys. And I think Trayvon Henderson is a get you over the top guy. And then, you know, is Jack Sawyer a get you over the top guy? I mean, I think he can work in. Chase Young was the fifth defensive end as a true freshman here. They aren't as deep this year as they were in 2017 when Chase Young was a was a freshman. So I think Jack Sawyer's gonna matter. I think Jack Sawyer's gonna play. Abekek Buka and Marvin Harrison as true freshmen are in the mix. They're, they're two of the top six receivers. They'll rotate those guys to some extent. I think a will probably maybe rotate a little bit more in the slot with Jackson Smith and the Jigbo while Marvin Harrison is behind Garrett Wilson. So maybe it's not as much of a rotation there, but there's some dudes, right? I mean, there's enough guys that matter and there's always injuries that open things up. You know, Chris Olave, what he did in the Michigan game as a freshman, it took an injury to give Chris Olave that opportunity, but you don't want to forecast them. You don't hope for them. You know, it's going to happen. There's going to be some other young guys that we're not quite thinking about that I think are going to get some chances because some other stuff's going to happen. But I think those two receivers, Travion Henderson and Jack Sawyer will all help Ohio state win when it matters at some point this year. And obviously last season, the offense really wasn't the problem. Uh, it was the defense. And a lot of people looked at, at that point, first year defensive coordinator, Kerry Combs, and you've been covering Ohio state long enough to have seen both 10 years of, of Kerry Combs. Now that he has had a full off season, kind of implement what he wants to do and is starting to kind of get over that lull in defensive recruiting, especially in the secondary in the first year or two that he was in the NFL and now starting to get Jeff Halfley's guys into the mix and and more of Combs's guys back into the mix. Do you think that we will see something noticeably different from what Combs is able to roll out there from a defense defensive scheme in totality and specifically in the defensive secondary, having had the experience of that wonky 2020 season in the rearview mirror? I think there's still a half step below from a talent standpoint in the secondary from the peak of what Ohio State is back there. You know, no offense to Seven Banks and Cam Brown and, and guys like that. They're not Jeff Okuda. They're not Marshawn Lattimore, right? They're not quite there. So yeah. I still think we'll see some of the remnants of that. But I do think, and, and this is happening, I think, with se- second-year coordinators all across college football. It's happening at Minnesota. Mike Sanford, their uh, offensive coordinator, was first year last year. And it's all these guys who are like, well, it wasn't so great last year. How much was it the pandemic? How much was it a lack of practice, a lack of preseason, a lack of knowing your guys? And how much was it like, oh, maybe hey, there's some issues here? So I think you give the benefit of the doubt. I do think Kerry Combs will um, – 
mix it up with personnel. I think there's they they probably will play 13, 14, 15, 16 guys almost as starters on this defense. I think he can mix it up with different calls between man looks and zone looks. I don't know how much he wants to blitz. I think you maybe can try that a little bit more. They've got to find a way to get home more than they did a year ago. Yeah. But I still think they're still not quite at their peak in the secondary, and that's still going to show up a little bit. But I think it's fair to give Kerry Combs the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, he talked about all the stuff he learned in the NFL. I, I don't know that he got to bring much of that last year. I think he'll bring more of it this year. Transitioning to what might be the most important question um, for Ohio State over the past week, what are your thoughts on Ryan Day shaving his beard before the season actually gets underway on Thursday night? I had not really processed the idea that he really is off-season beard, in-season clean shaven. He He's a very regal man with the beard. And it's so yeah. jet black. You know, it is, it is, it is such a, a full and lustrous beard that I think he could stay with it. You know, Kevin Stefanski at the Browns is younger than Ryan Day, I think, but he's got the salt and pepper beard, but he mm-hmm. does the beard. He keeps it. So there's part of me that it brings a, a regality to Ryan Day that I'm a little reluctant to see him let go of. But I do think he's superstitious. And he very much, I mean, he talks about that stuff enough that I, I believe him when he says that kind of thing actually matters to him. And he's he's talked a lot about the idea of like, you can't lose at Ohio State. You can't lose, you can't lose, you can't lose. Yeah. And he has not lost a regular season game yet. So that dude is not, while he's got it rolling, he is not risking anything. So he does not want to have, I mean, he's eventually going to lose a regular season game. I do not predict that Ryan Day will retire <laughs> undefeated in the regular yeah, yeah, season. Yeah. But when he when that loss comes, he wants to know it came for football reasons and not have the this the thing in the back of his head of like, man, was it the beard? Did the beard do this to me? <laughs> so until he loses in the regular season and can like maybe let go of these superstitions, he's going to keep shaving. Yeah, it's a good look though. He should keep it. But I understand the superstitions part. But um, you you mentioned all of the nine hundred podcasts that you do on a daily basis. Obviously, you do the the daily uh, Buckeye talk. But recently, over the last few months, you've started doing uh, the college football playoff show. And I'm wondering now that you have time to focus on kind of the bigger picture because you've often said on Buckeye talk like you're not an expert on other teams you are an expert on Ohio State so when people ask you about opponents you're like nah I don't really know because I don't cover them now with this new podcast you kind of are to a lesser degree covering all of the major teams that are vying for the college football playoff has that kind of changed your perspective not only on the playoff in general and some of these other teams but Ohio State as well I only do things for money, Matt. So yeah, now that it's part of my job <laughs> sure, of to course. watch the other teams, I'll do it. Because frankly, I mean, I know there's a lot of people and, I, and I'm not, I'm just shooting it straight. It's like, there are people like, oh, I, I cover college football all day. And then my relaxation is to watch more college football. And I'm like, I'm watching a friend's rerun, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, <laughs> it's sometimes I don't want to make my job my, also my hobby, but I am interested. I'm enjoying it from the aspect of, hey, I need to be educated on this stuff. And so it's kind of fun to learn. I want to watch Georgia highlights and, and watch Georgia's spring game and watch Bryce Young for Alabama and try to figure some of this stuff out. Ohio State's pretty stinking good, right? The, uh, you do get your, your hands around the idea that 
not that many teams are super talented, high level on both sides of the ball that a lot of places have something they do really well, but man, you can kind of see the holes. And so even when we talk about Ohio state and some of the things maybe defensively, when there are question marks right now, it's like, listen, man, Oklahoma's lived with bigger questions than that for years while trying to win national titles. Mm-hmm. George has been a great defensive team that's never been able to pull it together offensively to compete at this level. And it reminds you that when it comes to both sides of the ball getting it done, it, it really is Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State that separate from the rest. And I, and I think we've seen that. That's no surprise to anybody. But that's just what it is. I mean, everybody has peaks, but it's hard for your whole 85-man roster you know, 22 man starting lineup to be a peak. And so it's a reminder that Ohio state's in rare air here, man. And, and I, and I loved, you know, our Ohio state listeners and readers and our tech subscribers who are like, you know, not complaining, but like are analyzing and finding flaws in this incredible program. I think it's fun to do it that way. Ohio state sets a high standard and I think the fans should hold them to that, but man, other than the top three, people are patching holes in the boat every year, man. They are taking on water and just trying to get by. And that that's just not how Ohio State operates. Yeah, and and I think that is something that makes Ohio State fans excited about every season. But like you said earlier, the Big Ten season is no longer the be-all and end-all. They are looking forward to that college football playoff, which uh, is great that we have your insight on that, too. So I, uh, I will wrap up uh, on this question, and I know – you guys have talked about whether Ohio State's going to make the CFP on on Buckeye Talk and stuff. So I'm not going to ask necessarily for you to make a prediction on records and all of that stuff. But what I'm going to ask is, what will it take for Ohio State to actually win the national title this season? I think that a lot of people just assume for reasons you just described that they are um, a front runner to make the playoff what is what will you need to see from certain players, from certain position groups, from certain coaches to think that they have a legitimate shot to beat Oklahoma, to beat Georgia, to beat Clemson, to beat Alabama, whomever it is, to win a national title in the 2021-2022 season? I think it's the belief that when they get to that level, they have a firepower answer for the teams that you meet in the playoff. And to me, that's either can you score with them and hang with them? Or do you have a defense that can slow them down? I don't know that you need both, but you need one. And I don't know which one is more likely for Ohio state to have. It's probably more likely to have the offense that can hang with them, but that's putting it on CJ Stroud. You know, they have the two best receivers in college football. They have one of the two best offensive lines in college football. They have a very talented tight end and we see the potential in the run game. C.J. Stroud has to get the ball to the right people. He's going to have to make some big plays at some points against against some higher-level opponents. Mm -hmm. So can he do that? If they get in a game with Oklahoma, can C.J. Stroud lead an offense that can score with Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma? If D.J. Uyunglele, who's the same year as C.J. Stroud but had a couple games last year, just an unbelievable quarterback. If if Clemson's got it rolling, can the Ohio State offense keep up? Or – can the back end, can the secondary play at a level where you believe, hey, I think Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom and Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Cam Martinez can slow these guys down so that Spencer Rattler doesn't throw for 450 on you and, th- and that's how you hang with it. I think you have to have a belief in one of those two things because the two lines are there, right? Offensive line yeah. and defensive line, there's a lot to believe in. So it's defending the pass, 
or making big plays in the past game. One of those two has to pop in a way that you believe can happen in January. And if it does, they've got a chance to win it all. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I, I lied. I have one last thing I want to ask because this I just saw this come up from everybody's favorite financial sports tweeter, Darren Ravel, just tweeted that Quinn Ewers has signed a multi-year deal with an autograph company for more than $1 million. And I know you've talked about NIL stuff, but um, it, it just I, obviously I don't know that you've seen this story, but just in, in kind of ramping up, what are your thoughts on how this NIL stuff, whether it's with Quinn or, or with all these Ohio State players getting cars and stuff like that, what do you think this means for the future of recruiting? Since so much of uh, your book you know, was about that, and, and obviously you talked to Travion Henderson, who I, they might have had whisperings of NIL stuff during his recruiting, but most of it was before those conversations. Do you think that this is going to make a huge impact on recruiting, or do you think it's going to just be another added layer and it's pretty much the big dogs are going to stay the big dogs and it's not going to really make much of a difference. It might change the degree, but it's more or less the same thing. I have a hard time believing it's going to make a huge difference, like between levels. I think it's most interesting if all of a sudden um, TCU can keep Quinn Ewers at home because they have an NIL thing that trumps what Ohio state could do, right? That if we're just talking about, well, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, they're still going to all compete each other. They're all going to have great NIL opportunities in different ways, but I don't know how it actually changes the playing field all that much at that level. And then Michigan State, Purdue, Minnesota, they're all going to compete against each other. I don't know. Minneapolis, that's a bigger city. Does Minnesota prosper more there? I don't know. It gets interesting to me when Minnesota beats Oklahoma for a quarterback prospect because Minnesota can do something in the NIL space that Oklahoma can't. If it's just another thing that doesn't really change where guys go, my interest level is very minimal. So I don't, I don't know how much it's going to change that. Like show me, show me the, the program that makes a jump in tears because of NIL. Hey, all of a sudden, um, I don't even, I can't even think of a good example, but a, yeah. a program that wasn't a tier one team, you know, Boston college takes advantage of, of the Boston media market. And now Boston college is Clemson. That's really interesting. But short of that, I, I don't know. And, you know, best of luck to Quinn Ewers. He deserves every dollar he gets a, if he's good in the NFL, it's going to dwarf what he makes on this autograph stuff. And B Nobody wants the autograph of a backup quarterback. So if yeah. he's not the quarterback, whether it's at Ohio State or if he transfers, eventually goes somewhere else, whatever, like you've still got to play and be good because that's what people care about. You know, we're getting I think people are getting out over their skis a little bit with some of this. Like, it's cool to be a high ranked recruit, but I don't know. Justin Zwick was a high ranked recruit, too. I don't know what people lining up for a Justin yeah. Zwick autograph thing. They wanted Troy Smith's autograph, right? So I think that's a, that's an obvious reality, which is, it makes me sound like an old man. Good luck. Every, every amateur athlete, get every penny you can. But the NFL is where the money's at and you've got to play to be popular. Yeah, I, I think to me, agreeing with everything you said, the thing that is most interesting to me with NIL stuff is the non-football and men's basketball sports. I want I want to see what the quote-unquote non-revenue or Olympic sport athletes mm-hmm. uh, can get out of this. Because that's more interesting because 
that's very much catching in on things that they've never had that maybe some of the football and basketball, men's basketball players have in, in other ways. So anyway, sure. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. As I said, uh, a huge fan of, of everything that you do and very much looking forward to all of your very varied coverage uh, for this football season, both college and pro Ohio State and uh, CFP at large. Uh, Matt, uh, very kind words. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for having me. It's been a fun conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the iconic Doug Maurice. I will have links to purchase The Road to Ohio State, as well as his various podcasts, and his Twitter account, at Doug Maurice. that's L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S, in the show notes and on landgrantholyland.com. If you are finding this episode on the aforementioned website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now that the season is here, we are cranking out one or two episodes every single day so that you are completely covered with all of the news, insight, perspectives, and weirdness that Land Grant Holy Land can bring you. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.